You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Inside Healthcare. I'm your host, Dave Smolar, Senior Multimedia Specialist here at NCQA. NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance, exists to improve healthcare in America. We want to make care better for everyone. We set expectations of healthcare organizations, measure their performance, and highlight those that do well. And we use science to help us build better health and better choices for all Americans. If you're a fan of this podcast or you got feedback for us, write to us at communications at ncqa.org. We look forward to hearing from you. In this episode of Inside Healthcare, we talk interoperability with a cardiologist who helped develop a new standard for data records exchange. Later on, a bit about bone health in observance of Healthy Aging Month in America. But first, in the interview with our featured guest in this episode, we discuss interoperability, the successful exchange of electronic health records, or EHRs, throughout a health system and between various health systems, agnostic of the Institute's proprietary software. We discuss FHIR, F-H-I-R, the Fast Health Interoperability Resources. This is the Fundamental Files Standard Group, established a few years ago by HL7, and confirmed by the Fed as the standard by which all EHRs should conform. And we discuss the many benefits of incorporating FHIR into everyday healthcare work, at the very least, as a way to alleviate concerns for those struggling with digital transformation. Now, I know you know. If you're a listener to Inside Healthcare, you've heard me sing the praises of FHIR standard and what it offers, and the successful and Ubiquitous implementation of the FHIR standard can do any of the following. It can ease transmission and credibility of EHR data. It can ease pressure on medical staff that's crunching data coming from inside and outside their facility. And FHIR can simplify equity improvements by doing things like making number crunching and population health data organizing more efficient and more effective. Now, here's something I haven't told you before. In late 2019, a number of stakeholders formed a group called Code X, C-O-D-E capital X. It started as a project to use FHIR to build an open standard health record format for use in oncology. Efforts to standardize cancer data led to the formation of another team to advance compatible exchange of genetic data. And from CODEX also came the CARDX hypertension project. CARDX, meaning cardiovascular data exchange, launched in 2022 by the University of Nebraska Medical Center's Center for Intelligent Healthcare. The project's stated objective is to, quote, facilitate the communication of hypertension management data between clinicians and patients to increase the proportion of individuals with hypertension who are treated to goal. That's goal, G-O-A-L. Cardiovascular disease, under which hypertension falls, is still the leading cause of death and disability in America. And of all the millions of people in the U.S. who have or are diagnosed with hypertension, only about a quarter of them are treated in a way that aims to reach their therapeutic goal. Meet Dr. James Cheng, cardiologist and professor of family medicine and community health at Duke University's School of Medicine. 
In addition to his work with patients, his research ranges from developing therapies for cardiovascular disease to the use of AI and IT and clinical informatics to improve efficiencies in the delivery of care. I'm pleased to say that Dr. Cheng will be presenting a session on the CardX Fire Accelerator at NCQA's annual Health Innovation Summit coming up October 2023, and you'll hear more about that in a little while. Dr. Cheng is on this episode to talk up CardX, just one of a number of fire-oriented initiatives to improve healthcare for all. The CodeX project leaders always want you to know that incorporating a fire standard into healthcare can be done in your area of research too. And as you'll hear from Dr. Cheng, it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. If interoperability solutions work for him, they'll work for you. Within the House of Cardiology, uh, we have the same problem that really exists across the House of Medicine. And that is the way we document things in Durham, North Carolina, in my home institution, oftentimes is perhaps different than the way it's done in Cincinnati or Seattle or Paris, such that the data, although it's trying to capture the essence of the same meaning, really isn't exchangeable. It can't move from one system to the next. That's the genesis of CARDEX. We're trying to fix the ability to interoperate, to move the data within the cardiovascular domain uh, across healthcare. Now, how is this done? The mechanism for accomplishing this is through what we call a FIRE accelerator. FIRE, again, is an acronym that stands for Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resources. It is a standard that's used by HL7, or it's the approach that's endorsed by HL7 for um, normalizing information as it moves from one health information technology system, a computer, if you will, to the next. CardX is a uh, group that's focused on cardiology and encompasses stakeholders from really across the entirety of the cardiology domain. So for example, we have healthcare enterprises represented in CARDEX. We have federal agencies, the Centers for Disease Control, the FDA uh, in particular. We have device vendors, individuals who are manufacturing blood pressure cuffs. So for example, uh, Welch Allen is one of our key collaborators. We have professional society representation, the American Medical Association, the American College of Cardiology, the American Heart Association, the entities that are writing the standards. We have uh, entities such as uh, the life sciences or biosciences industry, pharmaceutical companies. Their interest is obviously identifying patients who have hypertension and accomplishing better control. So we've brought together the community. We've brought together the stakeholders. Yes, we, by the way, have patient representation there too. Uh, we brought together folks to say, what are the barriers to improving hypertension management? Because hypertension management, after all, affects more than half of grown adults and is uh, perhaps the leading contributor to cardiovascular morbidity and mortality. A side question, when it comes to clinical guidelines, who who's establishing clinical guidelines? Is it the AMA or is there a, a certain body? So that is typically up to the professional societies. Uh, professional societies in the case of uh, hypertension uh, are predominantly the American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association. 
there are other entities that uh, have also written guidelines. For example, the American Association of Family Physicians, AAFP, uh, has a parallel set of guidelines that are directed not at cardiologists, but at uh, family practice and uh, internal medicine physicians. Now, the good news about CARDEX is we are not a cardiology-specific domain. In fact, we have, again, the American Medical Association, who, again, represents the internal medicine community uh, in such ways that uh, this is open. This is really about all individuals. And in fact, the, the specifications, the standards that we're developing through CARDEX, through FIRE, are non-denominational. Uh, any entity can use the standards that we're developing to help advance and uh, actually accelerate interoperability uh, almost to, if you will, the plug and play level. Uh, if you're participating with this CARDEX initiative, you can tap into the data streams and much more quickly, much more efficiently get to patient-related uh, data. So we're going to drill down uh, a little bit, uh, not to be redundant with what we just said. Um, we're talking about hypertension care within cardiological care. How does implementing FIRE uh, within the data exchange, how do you apply that to hypertension care as, you know, as, a, as an example, uh, and uh, patient evaluation, uh, continuance of care, uh, making sure that diagnoses don't get lost uh, along the way, there's no repetition of, of data or asking for the same records over and over again, the same medical history. Uh, how does FIRE help to smooth out uh, the pain points, as we call them? Sure. So I'm going to present to you a kind of a three-level model. I'll uh, be brief here about my modeling. But uh, if you think about having a doctor's hat on, I'm going to put on my clinician's hat on. The question is, how do we get blood pressure information today, especially from a patient coming from home with their blood pressure readings? Well, I would tell you that 90% of the time, the blood pressure measurement is made at home. And then somebody prints out a piece of paper and brings it to me and says, doc, look at my blood pressures, what do you think? Well, first of all, I have to look through 20 or 200 different blood pressure readings, try to do some math about it. Is it good, is it bad, et cetera. So clearly ineffective, inefficient. A few patients actually have figured out how to send me the data electronically. It comes across in an Excel spreadsheet. Excel spreadsheet, yeah, is a little bit better because I can apply some statistical uh, measurement to it, but still, it isn't. It doesn't get into the electronic health record. The dilemma with both of these is that there really isn't a way for a blood pressure cuff manufacturer to plug into a system that transmits the data electronically, so that it's both viewable by the patient, usable by the patient, as well as by the clinician. So, what we're envisioning with Fire is to allow any blood pressure cuff manufacturer to plug into an ecosystem where if you conform to the fire specification, you can move the data from the blood pressure device. You can have it face the patient. It can be analyzed. It can be acted upon uh, with clinical decision support to say, hey, Joe, you're doing a great job. Or maybe you ate too much pizza with all that salt last night and you should watch what you're eating or, or any kind of recommendation that can be made at the patient level. The clinician needs to be able to see that data, but why don't we use the computers to action upon it and present, say, for example, an average blood pressure to the clinician to say, yeah, Joe's been doing great this week, or no, you need to give Joe a call because all of a sudden he's popped up above and beyond normal. No, we don't want to wait every three months or six months for the patient to show up in clinic 
and measure the blood pressure and not really have a good idea what's happening in the real world. This is all about plug and play in a way that enables self-measured, self-monitored blood pressure in the real world that better reflects blood pressure management and measurement in a, again, more timely fashion. Another advantage of having electronic is it have a record to it. You can store the data, you can action upon it, you can do computerized uh, analysis, et cetera. And uh, we do envision that this is all patient enabling. That's really the key here. It isn't just about fire for the sake of having fun working on technology. How do we change the paradigms? How do we enable patients? How do we make for blood, better blood pressure control writ large? And then how do we make sure that the clinician is still involved, but at the right uh, touch points uh, relative to all the measurements that can be made? So talk about, uh, please, um, using fire for hypertension as a good example. How can you uh, expand on that to talk about uh, clinicians being able to work with other patients? And I would ask, I would ask as well um, for remote monitoring for uh, doing care for patients at home. Um, how incorporating fire and improving data exchange credibility as well of data exchange um, helps to improve the the potential of being able to care for patients at home. And like you said, that also helps to lead to in, increase self-care, uh, that the patients really take the onus upon themselves to look out for themselves. Yeah, so I think you've got the, the paradigm just right. Uh, this is about patient enablement. The Even the three-tier model that I described before really has a problem at the third level. It isn't plug and play. So if you are moving the data electronically, they're all one-offs. So if you have a blood pressure cuff made by um, company X, uh, the, they manage the blood pressure data movement a very specific way. They may have a cloud implementation. They may have an app on your device, on your phone. But each entity, each company, whether it's brand X, brand Y, brand Z, does it differently. And because there are, there are more than just a couple of two or three companies, uh, in fact, there are dozens of companies with uh, blood pressure devices, trying to make it so that the data itself, which is really what's important, the blood pressure data, not the manufacturers, uh, you know, who, who made the blood pressure cup, but the um, or, or the subsystems that they have, but the data itself becomes both usable by the patient as well as conveyed to the physician. That's really the key thing that FIRE enables. It is a common pathway for the interchange of information such that uh, all companies are enabled and it allows for a lot of innovation too. Uh, if you have access to the base data and you wanna build upon that, well, it's really kind of up to you and your imagination, your, you and your company's imagination, what you can do with that. But the data has to be there. And so this is about uh, uh, data exchange in ways that um, become plug and play. You know, the best paradigm I can give you is let's say that, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're um, you have power supplied to your house, but you've got 25 different types of plugs that you have to match up to each one of the receptacles. Uh, well, that's that's a recipe for disaster. You can't always make sure you're plugging into the right power source and the right voltage and all the kinds. Of, it's the same way with healthcare data, but unfortunately we are in the 25 different plugs mode right now, as opposed to one 
or two standards, which then can be used in, and that's why it's called plug and play, uh, to be, be able to tap in anywhere that you want to along the way. And you're sure that the data that's coming through is clean, it's correct, and it's actionable in ways that make a difference. I, I want to talk about the medical facilities themselves. These are the folks who are going through digitalization. And we want to encourage everybody to understand as much as possible what ultimately is is the goal, how things would be improved uh, for folks who are working in medical facilities, for clinicians, for medical staff, um, and, and just for their day-to-day. Because honestly, alleviating the stress of of many of these things and having information virtually available at your fingertips and knowing that they can trust it, that it's encrypted and that it's credible, that's that's got to go a long way. So talk to me about that. Yeah. So there is a saying in healthcare, the healthcare industry uh, regarding, for example, electronic health records. When you go to, say, for example, Duke, and you are a clinician there at Duke and you're using the Duke electronic health record, uh, let's say you go down the road and join the UNC healthcare system. The electronic health record system may be exactly the same vendor, but the saying in healthcare is, if you've seen one electronic health record, you've seen one electronic health record. So how do we break those barriers down? No, I'm not saying that you have to have exactly the same implementation of brand X of electronic health record or brand Y of blood pressure cuff, et cetera. But the commonality there is the data itself. How do you move the data around in ways that then become maximally useful. Another analogy that you can think of is um, the internet browsers that are available on uh, PCs and Macs. You know, there are several different uh, leading manufacturers. I'm not going to name them, but basically you can anticipate that regardless of whether you're using, again, brand A or brand B or brand C of your internet browser, the information that's going to be presented to you about your airplane ticket or about, uh, your account uh, with the bank or whatever it might be, that information is sacrosanct. The data itself, it doesn't matter what the front end is, but the data itself uh, is clear, it's correct, it's concise, uh, and it's presented in a way that uh, becomes um, uh, you know, globally exchanged. And, and so that's what this is, that's what FIRE is all about. It, it is, to be honest with you, not particularly sexy because if it works, nobody knows. It is the background uh, work that has to be done to make sure that, yes, when you plug in your lamp or your uh, appliance into that 110-volt socket, you know that you're going to get 60 hertz, 110-volt out of that. Uh, That's the same idea behind fire. I want to ask about health equity uh, and and the way, in my mind, at least, that I get to health equity for this. And I I know you you deal with community health as well uh, in your work. we get to health equity by saying the following, if we can improve interoperability, we can improve both the efficiency and the credibility of the data. And the more that happens, the more facilities and and clinicians see that happening, uh, the more things will start to ease with how things are, what what they have to deal with already. Uh, It just allows us to do even further research with more granularity in population research. Uh, and, you know, there, there are other issues that have to be resolved, but we're able to handle more data, to parse out more data, and hopefully to use that in a way that that granularity can lead to identifying 
further more specific community-based or racially-based, uh, population-based um, gaps in healthcare, in healthcare delivery. Uh, and once we know those gaps, then we can start trying to find solutions for filling on those gaps, uh, those gaps in, in health equity uh, provision. So talk to me about health equity in terms of how fire uh, is is the beginning of of um, improving things that lead towards better health equity. Yeah. So, David, I would say that, again, you've hit the nail right on the head. So the first concept that uh, really has been what we've been chatting about, what is FHIR? It is a data transport standard. By having a standard, you flatten out the inequities of any system, uh, whether it's related to healthcare or really kind of any other context that you're thinking about. Now, if you ask the question, what has led to the inequities that we see in healthcare? Well, there are barriers to access. There are barriers to uh, engagement. Uh, there are barriers that are unfortunately somewhat geopolitical, et cetera. How do you break down those barriers? Well, this is where I think FHIR has actually got a huge role, especially, for example, the hypertension use case that we're working on with Cardex. By enabling the patient by making sure that anybody can access the uh, devices and then move that data to the attention of both the patient and then get better patient involvement as well as the clinician. That's actually been shown time and time again to be kind of part of the secret sauce. Get the information to the patient where they live as opposed to requiring a patient to go to the ivory tower or even if it's not an ivory tower, the, the physician's office building, that if you can not require transport, if you cannot require an individual to necessarily be inconvenienced vis-a-vis -vis their day. And, and in other words, uh, whether you're talking about, uh, you mentioned before, blood glucose monitoring, or in this particular case, blood pressure monitoring, if you can get it so that you can engage that individual at their location where they are comfortable, and oh yeah, by the way, there's this thing called white coat hypertension. When you go see the doctor, your blood pressure automatically goes up 10 to 15 points. So let's break that paradigm. Let's move it out to where the patient is really the center of um, uh, the, the center of the healthcare enterprise, as opposed to again having to go to the, if you will, the ivory tower. So yes, we're envisioning this as being an enabler. Let's flatten out the barriers to participation, the barriers to access, if you will, to healthcare, enable the patient, allow anybody who's got a device to participate. Uh, yeah, by the way, we're actually thinking about future type of things because there are uh, companies that are working on risk-based blood pressure, continuous blood pressure monitoring. So there's lots of ways that this could go. And uh you don't have to have uh, you know, high-end type of uh, sophistication. A lot of stuff can be done on a cell phone. Uh, and that's um, uh, fairly ubiquitous, uh, not just in the United States, but really across the world. So by flattening out the barriers to entry, we do think that fire in general, and specifically uh, with the blood pressure monitoring, self-monitor blood pressure and the hypertension use cases expressed by Cardex is part of the answer. Uh, to uh, reducing um, the barriers and reducing our inequities and improving uh, our much more, or hopefully accomplishing a much more equitable healthcare environment. 
Dr. James Chang, cardiologist and professor of family medicine and community health at Duke University's School of Medicine. Everyone, it's time again now to focus on the place, the place that inspires and accelerates healthcare quality in America. And that place is NCQA's Health Innovation Summit. For three amazing days in October 2023, the Gaylord Palms Resort and Convention Center in Orlando, Florida will host our annual convention. Bringing together leaders from across the healthcare ecosystem, the summit will focus on all aspects of quality, including digital solutions, health equity, value-based care, and more. It will feature thought-provoking speakers, unique education opportunities, and an exhibit floor showcasing the latest in innovation. And as you can hear, between now and the summit, each episode of Inside Healthcare, this podcast, will include an exclusive interview with a featured speaker that you'll see and you can meet in person at the summit. So keep coming back for more. Register now for NCQA's 2023 Health Innovation Summit. Go now to ncqasummit.com for more. Join me once again now for our regular Fast Facts segment, where you learn tidbits of health info that you might have missed in class. The month of September observes Healthy Aging Month in the U.S. Right now, some fast facts about a condition that unfortunately affects millions of older Americans, osteoarthritis. This info, by the way, comes from NIAMS, the National Institute of Arthritis and Musculoskeletal and Skin Diseases, a division of the NIH. The degenerative joint disease osteoarthritis is the most common type of arthritis. Basically, knee joint tissue slowly breaks down over time. You feel joint pain and or stiffness after you've been sitting in one position, even for a short time. Osteoarthritis is most common in the knees, the hips, neck, lower back, and even parts of the hand near the fingertips. Basically, you can point to a joint on your body that has to support the rest of the body and you'll find a good candidate for osteoarthritis. Joint tissue loss leads to pain, swelling, and loss of movement, which all leads to less activity and possible muscle weakness. Sometimes bone spurs dislodge into the joint. Early detection can often stop or slow the downhill slide of degeneration. So if you experience any pain, stiffness, swelling, especially after long periods of inactivity or long periods of repetitive movement, don't hesitate to see your doctor about treatment. Now, as for NCQA's HEDIS measure set in observance of Healthy Aging Month, here's a bit about our measure called the OMW, Osteoporosis Management in Women Who Had a Fracture. This measure assesses women 67 to 85 years of age who suffered a fracture and who had either a bone mineral density test or a prescription for a drug to treat osteoporosis in the six months following the fracture. Osteoporosis is a bone disease characterized by low bone mass, which leads to bone fragility and increased susceptibility to fractures of the hip, the spine, and the wrist, or any other bone, really. Injuries can ultimately lead to increased mortality, but with appropriate screening and treatment, the risk of future osteoporosis-related fractures can be reduced. So overall, if you have a history of bone issues, had a serious bone injury in the past, or if you're over 60, be aware of these degenerative bone diseases and especially their symptoms. Stay active, stay strong, and stay on top of healthy aging. 
As we do on each episode of Inside Healthcare, we now ask for your thoughts on today's show. Email us at communications at ncqa.org anytime, and be sure to include Inside Healthcare in the subject line. If you're coming up empty for something to say, here's our question for this episode. What aspect of your workflow would be improved the most by effective interoperability? And if you have a comment, a suggestion, an idea for a guest on our show, just email us and let us know. Communications at ncqa.org. And of course, be sure to write the words inside healthcare in the subject line. Makes it easier to find you. Hope to hear from you soon. Well, that's it for episode 114 of NCQA's Inside Healthcare podcast. Thanks for joining us. This episode's done, but there are plenty that came before it for you to explore and investigate. And you can find us at blog.ncqa.org. Maybe that's where you are now. Or you can search for us on any Apple or Google streaming app. Tell your friends. Whether you download the show or you stream it, if you find us, then follow us and spread the word. Help us build our audience by letting others know about NCQA's work. If you haven't done so already, connect with NCQA on LinkedIn and Twitter. You'll get the video promos for this show to share with friends and colleagues. And as always, we thank you, our loyal listener, for helping our audience continue to grow. On behalf of our award-winning NCQA communications team, I'm Dave Smolar. We'll see you again, no doubt. You've been listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast brought to you by NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Inside Healthcare is available on your computer or mobile device through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on our blog at blog.ncqa.org forward slash podcast. <laughs>